Well, good morning once again. Um, today is uh, traditionally the day that we uh, acknowledge and recognize Jesus' baptism uh, by John the Baptizer. Remember, he's not Baptist, uh, but he did baptize. And uh, it maybe leads to a question of like, what sense did that make um, at, in, at the time of Jesus um, that John would start dunking people in water? And uh, within ancient Judaism, and as well as modern Judaism, um, that would be called a mikvah. Um, it's a, a ritual cleansing or ritual washing. And it, whether you are a first century Jewish person or certain types of modern Jewish um, uh, denominations or people, uh, you will undergo a mikvah or a ritual washing at various times in your life. Um, one in time in particular would be, say, if you were a Gentile and you were converting. Um, upon your conversion, you would have to be washed or undergo a mikvah. And, and it was said, uh, even in ancient writings, that when a Gentile came up from the water, it was like their skin was brand new. They have this idea of rebirth. Uh, John seems to be drawing on that uh, as, um, as he is going about his ministry. Uh, but he also takes it a step further because he does it in the Jordan River. And we've talked about this uh, before, I'm pretty sure, that um, the, the idea of passing through the Jordan River touches onto uh, Israel's deep past. That Israel wandered the desert or the wilderness for 40 years and they passed through the Jordan River to enter the land that God had promised them. And so, based on what we know about John and the things he preached, he, he picks the Jordan River, has people cross into it, and, immerse the, and he immerses them into it. And his teaching or preaching is essentially, hey, you are God's people, act like it. There are certain things that you do and do not do. Act like it. Be ready. Be God's people. Be Israel, the covenant children of Abraham. Because John uniquely knows that somebody's coming, and in fact, he's already here. So he's trying to get them ready for that next step that God is making. And lo and behold, that next step shows up. He seems to have been associated with, with John's movement. It's totally unclear how, um, but John knows who he is. And Jesus insists on getting dunked in the Jordan River. Now, Jesus, because he's Jesus, takes it yet, an, yet a step even further. Because he, he goes into the Jordan River, is dunked, and then he goes to the wilderness. And I think this, the, the parallel would have been kind of obvious uh, for some of his original audience, but we tend to miss it that Jesus is reenacting Israel, Israel's deep past, although he's reversing it. Rather than going, uh, going from wilderness through the Jordan River to the promised land, he's going the promised land through the Jordan River to the wilderness. And there we are told by Matthew and Luke uh, and Mark that he is tempted by the Satan, this 
evil enemy. And the temptations that he undergoes have odd and eerie parallels to the story of Israel, to the story of Israel being in the wilderness. And lo and behold, when Jesus is presented with these temptations, he is victorious. When Israel was presented with these temptations, they failed miserably. And so Jesus seems to be taking on this mantle or this role of Israel's history. And while their history is one of failure, Jesus's Jesus history or Jesus reenactment is a story of victory and success. Now, that may actually be or that is actually a very helpful way to think about what it means to be in Jesus. Jesus taking on the story of humanity, taking on the story of failure, and turning it into a story of victory. We can even make this a little more personal. It's easy for us to go to that place where we define ourselves or understand ourselves through the lens of our failures and mistakes. Um, being in Jesus means that we are with somebody or identified within somebody who has taken on our story and has enveloped those failures and he is victorious where we have failed. Um, I commend that to everybody, of course. Now, if you noticed in uh, the epistle reading, from the book of Romans, uh, St. Paul talks about baptism within the, the context of sin and death. Particularly locating baptism with death. And now we may like theologically or philosophically kind of connect those dots but like if I'm over there baptizing somebody um, our first thoughts are probably not going to be with death intuitively baptism and death are separate things for many of us uh, as it turns out um, for me those two concepts are pretty close and I'll tell you why um, fair warning, um, this is probably like the saddest story that I'll generally tell while, uh, while preaching. Uh, many of you, or some of you, uh, I don't know, uh, will know that when I was in seminary, actually right after I started, I was uh, like actually escorted out of my first class of, of that day um, because I had leukemia and didn't know it, and it was rapidly advancing. Um, they contacted the nurse at the, the school and took me to the hospital because I was at risk of death. Um, pretty quick, actually. Uh, and it was just a, an unmitigated nightmare for quite some time. They had to hit me with a bunch of chemotherapies to kill off as many white blood cells as I could before my blood killed me. And it was terrifying. I was there for about a week, um, 
there, there were so many questions at that point, uh, even when I was uh, discharged from the hospital, that we just did not have answers to. We did not know how this was going to turn out. Um, I think without treatment, I would have been gone in about six months. Um, obviously, I'm doing okay. But at the time, it was horrifying. And we were in a new city, St. Louis. Uh, we didn't know too many people very well. Uh, it, yeah, just, it, it's hard to describe how painful and scary it was. So after I was discharged from the hospital, I reached out to an old friend of mine. Uh, he was um, uh, my mentor in a lot, in, directly and in a lot of other ways. Um, uh, he was a pastor. I went to his church off and on for, for a while. Uh, he was a Baptist pastor. Um, his name was Kyle. He, he was a good mentor. I learned a lot from Kyle. He, um, he was actually, at the time, kind of a burgeoning thought leader. Uh, in terms of the intersection of culture and church. Uh, he had, by that point, written two books. Um, really good guy. Uh, he and I would meet weekly just to talk about stuff. So I reached out to him and said, hey, just so you know, this is going on. And he called me back pretty fast. And um, it surprised me, but it probably shouldn't have because I knew him. Uh, he made a promise to me that if I called him, it didn't matter what he was doing. He was going to pick up the phone. Like if I was having a rough day, if, if things were falling apart, which at that point they were constantly falling apart, he would be that person. He wanted to walk with me through this. And I can't explain the kind of relief that brings knowing that you're not alone. Um, Kyle died two days after that conversation. Uh, he was, like I said, a Baptist pastor. And, and Baptists, uh, when they baptize, uh, they do like the, the full immersion baptism, under the water and, and up. And actually Martin Luther commended that practice, if you could, because it uh, recreated the idea of dying and rising. Like, that action has very rich meaning. Um, and being a Baptist pastor, he was going to perform a baptism that, that morning, and he stepped into their baptismal and adjusted a microphone. And uh, later investigation would show that a uh, cool, or a, I think it was a cooling unit, refrigeration unit, somewhere in that circuit was not properly grounded. He was electrocuted and died in front of his con congregation. Um, it's, it's hard to describe how much that death hit, how hard it hit. Because, um, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's always a risk telling the story. Um, because thing, like, that, that was at least a, a light in what was otherwise a, a, just a chaotic dark time. And it was taken away. Uh, obviously, I am not the main character in that story. Uh, he left behind a wife and kids, um, which, by the way, they are doing great. Um, this was many years ago now. Um, they are thriving. Um, so that, that's good. But the, the, and the, the church is, is doing well now. It, um, but they went through some tough times. 
For me, baptism and death, that makes sense. I, I can just feel it because of that association. Um, now, I'm going to say something um, as, as we start bringing these two things together uh, that's going to sound really heretical and it's kind of inflammatory and that's why I'm saying it. Don't come at me with your pitchforks yet because I'll, I'll walk it back and you'll see what I mean. Um, for Jesus, as he is going about his career teaching and performing miracles, there are some things that he says and does that are unique. Some of his teachings are unique. Other things that he teaches, uh, you can find within the broader world of first century Judaism. Uh, ways of thinking, way, uh, even there, there's like, it's very rare, but there are one or two people, uh, rabbis for whom, uh, mirac- or with whom miracles are associated. Um, there are some things that Jesus uh, says that are, are unique, and the things that Jesus teaches, of course, are beautiful, and they have changed the course of the world. But they don't really matter. Um, I mean, if, if, that's where, if that was just the story, it would be, our response would probably be, oh, that's nice. I'm going to go find something else to do. And then as Jesus' career ends with his horrifying death, and crucifixion is a horror, it truly is. That's, I mean, that happened. Like, Rome crucified a lot of people. Like, a lot. Um, he would just be another on the pile. Uh, so that doesn't even matter. But when his disciples approach his tomb and it is empty, uh-oh, so, something happened. <laughs> and then shortly after that, when his disciples spend time with him, staring him in the face, and he is not like a spirit or a ghost. He's actually like eating breakfast with them. Something's happening that nobody saw coming. And suddenly his disciples realize we are in a new era of humanity. This is the era of new creation. Now, suddenly, everything he taught and did and even the horror of his death matters. And so when St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, a few years later, by his genius and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starts writing about what it means to be in Jesus, part of this new creation, this resurrection life, this transformed existence, he comes to this startling discovery. You cannot be a part of new creation and resurrection life without death. You cannot rise from the dead without having died first. It's not how it worked with Jesus 
That's not how it works for us either. And then as he's kind of working through this and explaining it, um, he also recognizes that those of us following Jesus in the Messiah, in Jesus, he uses a lot of different ways to explain it. Having received the Holy Spirit, we are marked by faith. We are marked by this community that we'll eventually call the church, uh, that we are a part of, that defines who we are. And, and, and seeing lives transformed, it's obvious that new creation, this resurrection life, is already growing in us. And that's true for us today, right now. Like, you who have received the Holy Spirit, like, the, the, the heart that beats in your chest is transformed. It's different. That if we are now part of this new creation, it means we have already tasted death, Jesus' death. And it comes together in baptism. That's the power of baptism. It kills and it makes alive. And whenever there's death in Jesus, there's always resurrection. Here and now, and in some time to come. And so baptism, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, those who are in him, we have been buried with Jesus in, his, in, in our baptism, We've already tasted that death. That, that death that for me is not an abstract thing. It's actually quite concrete. <laughs> but now we've been defined by something else. So in baptism, we become connected deeply, intimately, with that story of the one who in his baptism then goes off and takes on the mantle of Israel, the mantle of humanity, and transforms failure into victory. That the story that, that now defines us is not the story riddled with our mistakes and our failures. But actually, we become engulfed by the story of the one who gave himself who transformed death into new life, who took on the failures of his people and our failures too, leading to his death to transform them into something victorious. That we are defined by our baptism. We have been marked by the one who defeated death, who transforms and redeems our failures and turns them into victory in him. That's what baptism gives us. And so if you have not been baptized, if you have children that have not been baptized, come talk to us, please. Um, I am available. We have lay ministers uh, all around. Uh, just ask around and you will find them. Um, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Because baptism is a gift. It starts in death. And it ends in new life. Amen. As you are able, I invite you to rise for the offertory.